0: CHAPTER six OF IZZY POPENJOY. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicholas Clifford. IZZY POPENJOY by Antony Trollope. CHAPTER six BAD TIDINGS. About the middle of October there came a letter from the Marquis of Brotherton to his brother, which startled them all at Manor Cross very much indeed. In answering Lord George's communication as to the marriage, the Marquis had been mysterious and disagreeable. But then he was always disagreeable, and would on occasions take the trouble to be mysterious also. He had warned his brother that he might himself want the house at Manor Cross, but he had said the same thing frequently during his residence in Italy, being always careful to make his mother and sisters understand that they might have to take themselves away any day at a very short warning. But now the short warning had absolutely come, and had come in such a shape as to upset everything at Manor Cross, and to upset many things at the Brotherton deanery. The letter was as follows. My dear George, I am to be married to the Marchesa Luigi. Her name is Caterina Luigi, and she is a widow. As to her age, you could ask herself when you see her, if you dare. I haven't dared. I suppose her to be ten years younger than myself. I did not expect that it would be so, but she says now that she would like to live in England. Of course I've always meant to go back myself some day. I don't suppose we shall be there before May, but we must have the house got ready. My mother and the girls had better look out for a place as soon as they can. Tell my mother, of course, I will allow her the rent of Cross Hall, to which indeed she is entitled. I don't think she would care to live there, and neither she nor the girls would get on with my wife." yours b i am waiting to know about getting the house painted and furnished when lord george received this letter he showed it first in privacy to his sister sarah as the reader will have understood there had never been any close family affection between the present marquis and his brothers and sisters nor had he been a loving son to his mother but the family at manor cross had always endeavoured to maintain a show of regard for the head of the family and the old marchioness would no doubt have been delighted had her eldest son come home and married an English wife. Lady Sarah, in performing what she had considered to be a family duty, had written regular dispatches to her elder brother, telling him everything that happened about the place, dispatches which he probably never read. Now there had come a blow indeed. Lady Sarah read the letter, and then looked into her brother's face. "'Have you told Mary?' she asked. I have told no one it concerns her as much as any of us of course if he is married it is right that he should have his house we ought to wish that he should live here if he were different from what he is said lord george if she is good it may be that he will become different it is not the thing but the manner in which he tells it to us did you ever hear her name before never what a way he has of mentioning her about her age said Lady Sarah, infinitely shocked. Well, Mamma must be told, of course. Why shouldn't we live at Cross Hall? I don't understand what he means about that. Cross Hall belongs to Mamma for her life as much as Manor Cross does to him for his. Just outside the park gate, at the side of the park furthest away from Brotherton, and therefore placed very much out of the world, there stood a plain substantial house built in the days of Queen Anne, which had now for some generations been the habitation of the dowager of the Brotherton family. When the late marquis died, this had become for her life the property of the marchioness, but had been ceded by her to her son, in return for the loan of the big house. The absentee marquis had made with his mother the best bargain in his power, and had let the dower-house, known as Cross Hall, to a sporting farmer. He now kindly offered to allow his mother to have the rent of her own house, signifying at the same time his wish that all his family should remove themselves out of his way. "'He wishes that we should take ourselves off,' said Lord George hoarsely. "'But I do not see why we are to give way to his wishes, George. Where are we to go? Of what use can we be in a strange country? Wherever we are we shall be very poor, but our money will go further here than elsewhere. How are we to get up new interests in life? The land is his, but the poor people belong to us as much as to him. It is unreasonable. It is frightfully selfish. I, for one, am not prepared to obey him in this, said Lady Sarah. Of course, Mamma will do as she pleases, but I do not see why we should go. He will never live here all the year through. He will be sick of it after a month. Will you read the letter to my mother?' I will tell her george she had better not see the letter unless she makes a point of it i will read it again and then do you keep it you should tell mary at once it is natural that she should have built hopes on the improbability of brotherton's marriage before noon on that day the news had been disseminated through the house the old marchioness when she first heard of the italian wife went into hysterics and then was partly comforted by reminding herself that all Italians were not necessarily bad. She asked after the letter repeatedly, and at last, when it was found to be impossible to explain to her otherwise what her eldest son meant about the house, it was shown to her. Then she began to weep afresh. "'Why mayn't we live at Cross Hall, Sarah?' she said. Cross Hall belongs to you, mamma, and nothing can hinder you from living there. But Augustus says that we are to go away.' The marchioness was the only one of the family who ever called the Marquis by his Christian name, and she did so only when she was much disturbed. No doubt he expresses a wish that we should do so. Where are we to go to, and I at my age? I think you should live at Cross Hall. But he says that we mayn't. We could never go on there if he wants us to go away. Why not, mamma? It is your house as much as this is his. If you will let him understand that when you leave this you mean to go there, he will probably say nothing more about it. Mr. Price is living there. I can't make Mr. Price go away directly. The painter people come in here. They'll come tomorrow, perhaps. And what am I to do then?" The matter was discussed throughout the whole day between Lady Sarah and her mother the former bearing the old woman's plaintive weakness with the utmost patience, and almost succeeding, before the evening came, in inducing her mother to agree to rebel against the tyranny of her son. There were peculiar difficulties and peculiar hardships in the case. The marquis could turn out all the women of his family at a day's notice. He had only to say to them, Go, and they must be gone. And he could be rid of them without even saying or writing another word. A host of tradesmen would come, and then of course they must go, but Mr. Price at Cross Hall must have a regular year's notice, and that notice could not now be given till Lady Day next. If the worst comes to the worst, Mamma, we will go and live in Brotherton for the time. Mr. Holdenough, for the dean, would find some place for us." Then the old lady began to ask how Mary had borne the news, but as yet Lady Sarah had not been able to interest herself personally about Mary. Lord George was surprised to find how little his wife was affected by the terrible thunderbolt which had fallen among them. On him the blow had been almost as terrible as on his mother. He had taken a house in town, at the instance of the dean, and in consequence of a promise made before his marriage, which was sacred to him but which he regretted. He would have preferred himself to live the whole year through at Manor Cross. Though he had not very much to do there, the place was never dull to him. He liked the association of the big house. He liked the sombre grandeur of the park. He liked the magistrate's bench, though he rarely spoke a word when he was there. And he liked the thorough economy of the life. But as to that house in town, though his wife's fortune would enable him to live there four or five months, he knew that he could not stretch the income so as to bear the expense of the entire year. And yet, what must he do now? If he could abandon the house in town, then he could join his mother as to some new country house. But he did not dare to suggest that the house in town should be abandoned. He was afraid of the dean, and afraid, so to speak, of his own promise. The thing had been stipulated, and he did not know how to go back from the stipulation. "'Going to leave Manor Cross,' said Mary, when she was told, "'Dear me, how odd!' where will they go to?" It was evident to her husband from the tone of her voice that she regarded her own house in Munster Court, for it was her own, as her future residence, as hers and his. In asking where they would live, she spoke of the other ladies of the family. He had expected that she would have shown some disappointment at the danger to her future position, which this new marriage would produce. But in regard to that she was, he thought, either perfectly indifferent or else a very good actor. In truth, she was almost indifferent. The idea that she might some day be Lady Brotherton had been something to her, but not much. Her happiness was not nearly as much disturbed by this marriage as it had been by the allusion made to her dress. She herself could hardly understand the terrible gloom which seemed during that evening and the whole of the next day to have fallen on the entire family. "'George, does it make you very unhappy?' she said, whispering to him on the morning of the second day. "'Not that my brother should marry,' he said. "'God forbid that I, as a younger brother, should wish to debar him from any tittle of what belongs to him. If he would marry well, it ought to be a joy to us all.' "'Is not this marrying well?' "'What, with a foreigner? With an Italian widow? And then there will, I fear, be great trouble in finding a comfortable home for my mother.' Amelia says she can go to Cross Hall. Amelia does not know what she is talking of. It would be very long before they could get into Cross Hall, even if they can go there at all. It would have to be completely furnished, and there is no money to furnish it. Wouldn't your brother—Lord George shook his head—or papa—Lord George again shook his head—what will they do? If it were not for our house in London, we might take a place in the country together said Lord George. All the various facts of the proposition now made to her flashed upon Mary's mind at once. Had it been suggested to her, when she was first asked to marry Lord George, that she should live permanently in a country house with his mother and sisters, in a house of which she would not be and could not be the mistress, she would certainly have rejected the offer. And now the tedium of such a life was plainer to her than it would have been then— But under her father's auspices, a pleasant gay little house in town had been taken for her, and she had been able to gild the dullness of Manor Cross with the brightness of her future prospects. For four or five months she would be her own mistress, and would be so in London. Her husband would be living on her money, but it would be the delight of her heart that he should be happy while doing so. And all this must be safe and wise, because it was to be done under the advice of her father. Now it was proposed to her that she should abandon all this and live in some smaller, poorer, duller country residence in which she would be the least of the family instead of the mistress of her own house. She thought of it all for a moment, and then she answered him with a firm voice. "'If you wish to give up the house in London, we will do so.' "'It would distress you, I fear.' when we call on our friends to sacrifice themselves, we generally wish them also to declare that they like being sacrificed.' "'I should be disappointed, of course, George.' "'And it will be unjust,' said he. "'If you wish it, I will not say a word against it.' On that afternoon he rode into Brotherton to tell the tidings to the dean. Upon whatever they might among them decide, it was expedient that the dean should at once be told of the marriage. Lord George, as he thought it over all on horseback, found difficulties on every side. He had promised his wife should live in town, and he could not go back from that promise without injustice. He understood the nature of her lately offered sacrifice, and felt that it would not liberate his conscience. And then he was sure that the dean would be loud against any such arrangement. The money, no doubt, was Mary's own money, and, subject to certain settlement, was at Lord George's immediate disposal but he would be unable to endure the dean's reproaches. He would be unable also to endure his own, unless, which was so very improbable, the dean should encourage him. But how were things to be arranged? Was he to desert his mother and sisters in their difficulty? He was very fond of his wife, but it had never yet occurred to him that the daughter of Dean Lovelace could be as important to him as all the ladies of the house of Germain. His brother proposed to bring his wife to Manor Cross in May, when he would be up in London. Where, at that moment, and after what fashion, would his mother and sisters be living? The dean showed his dismay at the marriage plainly enough. That's very bad, George, he said, very bad indeed. Of course we don't like her being a foreigner. Of course you don't like his marrying at all. Why should you? You all know enough of him to be sure that he wouldn't marry the sort of woman you would approve. I don't know why my brother should not have married any lady in England. At any rate, he hasn't. He has married some Italian widow, and it's a misfortune. Poor Mary! I don't think Mary feels it at all. She will some day. Girls of her age don't feel that kind of thing at first. So he is going to come over at once. What will your mother do?' She has Cross Hall. That man Price is there. He will go out, of course. With notice he must go. He won't stand about that if you don't interfere with his land and farmyard. I know Price. He's not a bad fellow. But Brotherton does not want him to go there,' said Lord George, almost in a whisper. "'Does not want your mother to live in her own house? Upon my word, the Marquis is considerate to you all.' he has said that plainly has he if i were lady brotherton i would not take the slightest heed of what he says she is not dependent on him in order that he may be relieved from the bore of being civil to his own family she is to be sent about the world to look for a home in her old age you must tell her not to listen for a minute to such a proposition lord george though he put great trust in his father-in-law did not quite like hearing his brother spoken of so very freely by a man who was, after all, the son of a tradesman. It seemed to him as though the dean made himself almost too intimate with the affairs at Manor Cross, and yet he was obliged to go on and tell the dean everything. Even if Price went, there must be some delay in getting the house ready. "'The Marquis surely won't turn your mother out before the spring.' Tradesmen will have to come in, and then I don't quite know what we are to do as to the expense of furnishing the new house. It will cost a couple of thousand pounds, and none of us have ready money." The dean assumed a very serious face. "'Every spoon and fork at Manor Cross, every towel and every sheet, belongs to my brother. Was not the Cross house ever furnished?' "'Many years ago, in my grandmother's time, my father left enough money for the purpose but it was given up to my sister, Alice, when she married Holdenough. He found himself explaining all the little intricacies of his family to the dean, because it was necessary that he should hold counsel with someone. I was thinking of a furnished house for them elsewhere. In London? Certainly not there. My mother would not like it, nor would my sisters. I like the country very much the best myself. Not for the whole year?' I have never cared to be in London, but, of course, as for Mary and myself, that is settled. You would not wish her to give up the house in Munster Court?" -"Certainly not. It would not be fair to her to ask her to live always under the wing of your mother and sisters. She would never learn to be a woman. She would always be in leading-strings. Do you not feel that yourself?" -"I feel that beggars cannot be choosers. My mother's fortune is two thousand pounds a year. As you know, we have only five thousand pounds apiece. There is hardly income enough among us for a house in town and a house in the country." The dean paused a moment, and then replied that his daughter's welfare could not be made subordinate to that of the family generally. He then said that if any immediate sum of money were required, he would lend it either to the dowager or to Lord George. Lord George, as he rode home, was angry both with himself and with the dean. There had been an authority in the dean's voice which had grated upon his feelings. Of course he intended to be as good as his word, but nevertheless his wife was his wife and subject to his will, and her fortune had been her own and had not come from the dean. The dean took too much upon himself, and yet with all that he had consulted the dean about everything and had confessed the family poverty. The thing, however, was quite certain to him—he could not get out of the house in town. During the whole of that day Lady Sarah had been at work with her mother, instigating her to insist on her own rights, and at last she had succeeded. "'What would our life be, Mamma? Lady Sarah had said, "'if we were removed altogether into a new world? Here we are of some use, people know us, and give us credit for being what we are. We can live after our own fashion, and yet live in accordance with our rank.' There is not a man or a woman or a child in the parish whom I do not know. There is not a house in which you would not see Amelia's and Susanna's work. We cannot begin all that over again. When I am gone, my dear, you must do so. Who can say how much may be done before that sad day shall come to us? He may have taken his Italian wife back again to Italy. Mamma, we ought not to run away from our duties.' on the following morning it was settled among them that the dowager should insist on possession of her own house at cross hall and a letter was written to the marquis congratulating him of course on his marriage but informing him at the same time that the family would remain in the parish some few days later mr knox the agent for the property came down from london he had received the orders of the marquis and would be prepared to put workmen into the house as soon as her ladyship would be ready to leave it. But he quite agreed that this could not be done at once. A beginning, no doubt, might be made while they were still there, but no painting should be commenced, or buildings knocked down, or put up till March. It was settled at the same time that on the first of March the family should leave the house. "'I hope my son won't be angry,' the marchioness said to Mr. Knox. If he be angry, my lady, he will be angry without a cause, but I never knew him to be very angry about anything. "'He always did like to have his own way, Mr. Knox,' said the mindful mother. End of chapter 6